Good morning. Can you hear me okay? All right. I just want to thank you, Pastor Kyle, um, for uh, your encouragement um, the last year, several months, um, and for this opportunity. Um, But good morning to all again. Um, Today, I want to talk about King David and the gospel. Um, I find myself rooting for the hero of our faith, David. Um, He certainly was a hero of Israel in the Bible. In fact, we like to root for heroes. We love to hear about heroes. We love to watch movies about heroes. Um, I have three boys at home. In fact, one of them is with me. And we love to see um, those movies about heroes, like Avengers, or even Batman, Superman. Thanos, uh, or excuse me, <laughs> to actually to my youngest, Thanos is more of a hero to him. But we love to see heroes overcome tragedy. They overcome those obstacles. They overcome adversity. And of course, the infamous villains, right? Like I just mentioned Thanos, um, Joker, Bane, Lex Luthor. That's what makes a great narrative, right? That what makes a great story with heroes. David was certainly a great hero in the story of Israel. He had to overcome many adversities just to even become king. Once he became king, he was certainly living that hero life. He had a, a, a huge army, and he even had these... these uh, what would you call them, sidekicks. He had his mighty men. Furthermore, um, God even made a covenant with David to bless his kingdom, to extend his kingdom so he could dominate even more as a hero. But today I want to focus on a part of David's life where he's not the hero anymore. He's actually the villain. This is the part of the story where I kind of cringe up a little bit, where David screws up big time. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to uh, invite you to turn them to 2 Samuel chapter 12. In the story, this is right after the part where David commits adultery, takes another man's woman, and ends up murdering this man to cover it up. So we're going to read through uh, verses 1 through verse 13. 2 Samuel chapter 12 should be on the screen. Yes. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city. The one rich and the one other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little... I would have added to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? 
you have struck down Uriah the Hittite and with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart your house because you have despised me me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before of all of Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that still speaks to us today. God, I pray that you would open up our minds, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open up our eyes to see how wonderful your word is and to the truth, God, that still speaks to us today. I pray, God, that you would uh, speak powerfully through your word. Uh, and I need your help. Pray, God, that you would bless us today. Help us to see you and to see ourselves the way that uh, you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. There are three big observations to make here in this chapter concerning David and the events surrounding his life that have still huge implications for us today. So I want to talk about the first one here, God's word revealed David's sin. David sinned. He sinned big time. And it wasn't like making a little mistake. You see, if you know much about my wife and I, we love to be a part of the worship team, play guitar, play piano. And I, and I notice sometimes when I play, I make a little mistake. Um, it, most of the time, they're really small mistakes. And Pastor Clayton, who's the worship pastor over at the Muncie campus, he tells me to just keep playing. Most people don't notice, just smile and play. And, you know, most people don't catch up on that. But if I was to play in a different key, and I see my wife kind of cringing a little bit, if I was to play in a, and not use my capo, if I'm supposed to use my capo, that's huge. Everybody kind of noticed. And in David's life, that was not just a little mistake there. It, was, it had huge implications. It wasn't a little hiccup in his life. He broke four, not one, not two, not three, at least four commandments. We see that David coveted a man's wife. He committed adultery with her. He murdered her husband, and he was dishonest by trying to cover it all up. He sinned specifically by the law, the word of God. In verse 9, Nathan emphatically tells David at this point, you despised the word of the Lord. He's telling David, you despise God's covenant with you. You despise God's standard that he set for your life and for your kingdom. How devastating this must have been to David. God ultimately is indicting David here. And I want to make a point here that it's not like being given a speeding ticket by a cop. I've had many of those. My wife can tell you. She's never had one, okay? Okay, there's many things here that my wife is better at me than me, and driving is definitely one of them, or following the law, I would say. Um, and I don't want to dig myself into a hole. But, um, but it's not like being given a speeding ticket. A minor citation, a minor offense. It's much more severe what David did. And Nathan was there to tell him it was against a holy God and his word. And it wasn't in front of a cop or a human judge. It was God he stood before. But how did David come to this realization that he sinned? 
Let's look back at the story that Nathan tells him in the first few verses of 2 Samuel 12. Should be on the screen here. God does something so powerful, so clever here, that through the prophet Nathan, he used a story to bait David into condemning his own self through his own personal judgment. Man. In the story, I'm not going to read it again, but God used a story that David can relate to as a shepherd. David cared for his sheep. He loved them. So when he hears this story, David in his anger and his righteous indignation pronounced judgment on the rich man who cared nothing for the poor man's sheep. He killed the poor man's sheep. And I want you to see something here. The next slide. The sympathies. Let me make sure I have that up. You want to go to the next slide? There we go. Thank you. The sympathies of David the king had been deeply stirred upon hearing this story. His indignation triggered, but his conscience was still asleep. And at the time, he was most fatally indulgent and blinded to his own sins. He was most ready to condemn the error of others. So David pronounced judgment. He says, this man needs to be killed, not even realizing that the story was about himself. So God makes it perfectly clear to David, and he says, you are that man. There is no way getting around it. He was guilty. And this morning, I'm here to tell you that the word of God speaks to us the very same way and reveals our sin and tells us that we also are that man. We are sinners. Just like David, we are sinners. Theologian John Stott said 30 years ago, the concept of sin has dropped from people's vocabulary. 30 years ago. I remember um, over 10 years ago, my wife and I made a trip to Thailand as a college internship. And one of the first things the missionary told us while we were there, he said that the Thai people, they don't have a concept of what sin is because all they've known is Buddhist teachings. They don't understand what it means to, to break God's laws, to, to sin. And so you have to really explain it to them. They're not going to understand. And it's not much different here today in America, in our time and in our culture. Today, we're actually told things like, follow your heart. You're a great person. You have greatness inside of you. But God's word says something completely different. Romans 3.23, it tells us, For all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's glory, of his standards, of his word. All have sinned. Not one is righteous, not a single person. In fact, we're the only creatures that God has made that live in rebellion towards him. Think about it. God made the birds and he told them to fly and they flew, right? He told the mountains to be raised up to this height and they obeyed. He told the stars to be in place and they listened. But he told us to follow him and we say no. But going back to David's story, Nathan's story, excuse me, when he told David, you are the rich man. You are that man. We are also the rich man in the story. Instead of joying and and being satisfied with what God had given us, just like the rich man, we rejected it out of our pride. And instead of being obedient, and enjoying God's creation and his purpose for our lives, we can distort, corrupt, and twist what God intends for us. 
And by doing so, out of our pride, out of our selfishness, we slaughter the lamb. We slaughtered the Lamb of God, God's only Son, by our sins. Our sin is detestable. You might be thinking or you might be offended, and, and I understand that. And you might think, well, I haven't murdered someone. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen someone's lamb. I haven't murdered someone's lamb. But what did Jesus tell us? In Matthew 5, and 28, anyone who lusts, even lust, looks at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery with her. Anyone who has hatred towards his brother or sister, another person, is deserving of God's judgment. God's standards are different than ours. And this time it's not Nathan saying to David or saying to us, it's Jesus According to Jesus, we are all sinners and we are guilty. And it's not just in actions, but Jesus talks about our motives, our thoughts, who we are inside. The last thing today I want to talk about sin is there's one thing for us to do to point out sin in others like David in Nathan's story. We can do that as well. We're great at judging others, aren't we? In fact, our American media empire has made a huge industry today out of singing competitions, out of reality TV, and out of cable news. I mean, who hasn't seen American Idol or seen one of those shows before? But we form our own opinions and we judge others. On And these people are people we've never even met before. How crazy is that? But to actually look at ourselves in the light of God's word and let God judge us, convict us, that's a whole completely different story. God even tells us in 1 John 1.9 that if we say we have no sin, We're only deceiving ourselves and we make God out to be a liar. And finally, I want to point something else out on the screen here. God doesn't just drop a truth bomb on us like I'm kind of doing today but and, and use it to just beat us into submission. But he slowly and surely removes our self deception through his word. For the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cuts between our soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God strikes at our very core of who we are. It can wake us up to the truth that we are sinners. Second observation we see this morning is that there were consequences for David's sin. There were consequences. In fact, the truth hit David so hard, it was like a ton of bricks because ultimately, excuse me, he was deceiving himself. He thought he was going to get away with it all. Did he not? Because he covered it up, or so he thought he covered it up. You can say each week that had passed, each month that had passed, his deception just kept growing because he thought he would get away with it. A whole year had passed, at least, by the time Nathan had confronted him. But what did Nathan say in verse 10 through 12 through God, what the consequences were? I'm not going to read that again, but you could sum it up and actually seeing the continuing story in 2 Samuel, that there was death as a consequence, sexual immorality, chaos. They all followed David as a result of his sins. And I'm just going to talk about three of those this morning real quick. The first is David's relationship with God. One year had passed. One year of living in guilt, shame, away from the presence of God. Can you just imagine with me this morning the the weight 
of that, the gravity it put on him. One year. The man after God's own heart, the man after God's own presence, was now far away from God's heart, far away from his presence. So much so, if you remember Pastor Kyle preaching Psalm 51, but he cries out to God in Psalm 51 for his presence again. The second is David's relationship with his family and his leadership as a father, as a husband. In reading the continuing story, we also see that his sons ended up committing the same kind of sins that he did. Murder, rape, adultery. That was the ultimate example he set for his family. And then number three, his leadership as king. Think about this for a moment. Israel's best and brightest king was a murderer and an adulterer. It was corrupt. And it was on display for the whole kingdom. What a horrible legacy. But I want to sum up David's consequences by saying this. The prophet Nathan spoke of God threatening to do to David what he only allowed to be done. The fact is that the loss of David's character by the discovery of his crimes tended in the natural course of life to diminish the respect of his family, weaken the authority of his kingdom, and encourage the prevalence of many sins throughout his kingdom. Ultimately, David's sin and his example, it just brought all of this to him. The cost was so high. And hundreds of years later, not thousands of years later, the cost of sin still affects us today immensely. There are also consequences for us when we sin. Just like David, we can be deceived into thinking there are no consequences or we can cover up our sins. We can just ignore them over time like going to the doctor, right? Uh, my wife and I have recently been to the dentist, in fact, and you just don't want to go to the dentist, right? You don't want to hear that bad news. And unfortunately, I got some bad news. It's because I didn't go to the dentist very often. Um, we just, we want to ignore it. We want to just kind of pass over it. And we think, you know, we're going to get away with it. But those cavities, right? Those, those nasty little, you know, things, they just don't go away. But I want to read Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap, will he re also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. When we see God's word, we see, understand, there's no hiding from the consequences of our sin. And I want to talk about similar consequences for us today, just like with David. Number one, our relationship with God suffers. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God. Even your sins have separated and hidden his face from you. Ultimately, if we continue to sin like David, it will keep us from God's purpose, his presence, and his calling from our lives, even as a believer. Number two, our relationship with others and the people that's close to us suffers. When talking about marriage, I don't need to have a huge spreadsheet up here to show you guys what sin can do to a relationship. We know that selfishness, adultery, substance abuse, violence, all of these sins can ruin marriage. And talking about our families, our children, the people that are, you know, in our sphere of influence, if we set a bad example for them, they will follow in our footsteps. Sin has huge consequences. 
And there's a lot of other consequences that we have as far as natural consequences. Like uh, in our society, there's jail, there's losing trust, losing our jobs. The list goes on. As bad as they, these things may seem, these consequences are only temporary consequences. We need to understand that there's a far worse consequence to our sin. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. The wages of our sin is death and separation from God and eternity in hell. In fact, they're so bad. When looking at the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16, Jesus tells us the eternal consequences are so bad and severe that it makes the rich man beg to warn his family that are still alive of the horrible consequences for his sin. You can read about that in Luke 16. And David ultimately was deserving of all of those consequences, including eternal separation from God, which leads us to our final point this morning. God removed David's sin and didn't punish David as he deserved. Because David ultimately has received forgiveness. I can finally smile today. (laughs) David received forgiveness. You might be thinking, David was punished though. I mean, he listed off all of those consequences, all the severe, horrible consequences. I mean, war, murder, his sons were killed. The proper sentence, the proper punishment was given to David, right? No, not at all. It wasn't. If you read through this chapter quickly, you might not take the time to see this. You would think that there's just all consequences, all punishment, but let's read 2 Samuel 12, 13. This is the key verse. I want you to let's slow down for a second. This is the key verse of this chapter. This is the end. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. The fact that David had sinned was guilty and all the consequences were just screaming out. But listen here. God put away David's sin. The sin of murder, the sin of adultery, the sin of being dishonest. And there's an important question we got to ask ourselves today. How can God just put away those sins? How can he just sweep them under the rug? Is that justice? Is that righteous? Let's read Numbers 35, 30 through 34 real quick this morning. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. Okay, actually, I just want to stop there. That's pretty clear in God's word, isn't it? That if a man commits murder, the murderer shall be put to death. And when you read on, it says their blood shall be spilled as a result of their crime. And we're just talking about murder here. I believe in my understanding that it's a similar consequence for adultery, according to the word of God. But how can God just take away God's, excuse me, how can God just take away David's sin of adultery and murder when It says in God's word here that David must pay for his life. How can God do that when he's just? I mean, let's pretend for a moment like we're David's, or excuse me, Uriah's parents. And if God was to tell them, we're just going to forgive David and he's not going to pay the punishment. In today's justice system, if something similar happened today, would that not be completely corrupt? So is God ultimately corrupt in his judgment with David? 
Here's the answer. Romans 3.23 through 26. I want to camp on this for just a few moments today. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put as a forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. While you could hear many sermons or many passages or from this passage or Bible studies even, we're just going to look at this right now through the lens of David and what David had just done. How can God put away David's sin? The first thing we see here in this passage is that for all have sinned. David certainly had sinned. He was guilty. And as a result, David was separated from God because he broke God's law. He sinned. That's the problem here in David's story. And we see it's still the problem in Romans 3.23. David has sinned. But behold, the next verse. David was justified, made right by God's grace. So God now says, David isn't guilt anymore. He's made right in a right relationship with him. But how did this happen legally? If you move on, we see that it was done. He was made right with God through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And you see the word propitiation. God used Jesus as the propitiation by his blood. Meaning that Jesus' blood, Jesus' death on the cross, was the sacrifice to pay for David's sins. Jesus' blood, Jesus' death was the sacrifice to pay for David's sin and provide forgiveness for David. What David fully deserved, Jesus took upon himself on the cross for David. This was death. This was God's judgment, the penalty for our sins. I want you to listen closely to Colossians chapter 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Ultimately, God canceled David's legal debt for David to be executed because God put his own son on the cross in David's place. He put David's sin upon Jesus, his only son. And because of that, David, or excuse me, God sent Jesus to be executed in David's place. The legal demands of God's law for David were met through Jesus Christ. Jesus became David's substitute. And I want you to listen closely here. Instead of David's blood, it was Christ's blood. And lastly, in Romans 3.25, I want to I point out this. It says that this is how God passed over former sins. In verse 25, Romans 3.25, this is how God was still just when passing over David's former sins. So what is God saying here? Through the future sacrifice of Christ, David was forgiven. God passed over, God put away David's sin. It was given to Christ. 
It was paid for by Christ on the cross. So is God just? Yes. This is how God maintains his justice, but also demonstrating his love and his mercy to David. For God so loved the murderer, the adulterer, David, that he gave his only son to be in David's place. This incredible forgiveness transformed David and brought him to repentance. Think about it. David went from trying to cover up, hide his sins, to confessing his sins in Psalm 51, to crying out for God's presence, to Psalm 139 saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts, my evil thoughts, and lead me in the way everlasting. David was transformed through God's forgiveness. God's radical mercy transformed him and still has huge implications for us today. And we see that through Christ, God puts away our sin and doesn't punish us as we deserve. The same way that David was forgiven is how we are forgiven today. And we can read Romans 3.23 through 26 for us. And I want to do that real quick today. How does God put away our sin and punish us as we deserve? Because it says in Romans 3.23, we're all sinners. We're all guilty. We've all broken God's law and rebelled against his purpose. And the consequences of that sin is death, eternal judgment, eternal separation from God. But the very next verse, but we're made right with God by his incredible grace through the work of Jesus on the cross. When we believe and we have faith in him, we are made right with God. On that cross, Jesus took all of our sins, past, present, future, the sins we'll ever commit, and he took it upon himself. On that cross, he shed his blood. He gave his life for us and suffered all of God's judgment that we deserved. He took your place. He took my place. And instead of being our death sentence, it was his death sentence. Instead of our blood, it was his blood that was shed. And I want to tell you, there's no greater act of love and mercy and forgiveness than what Jesus did for us by taking our sin, our guilt, our punishment upon himself on the cross. The, the fact that Jesus put all of your sin, not just the big things, but the impure thoughts, the secret sins that no one else knows about, he took it all upon himself. It's just incredible. And now I forgot my illustration. I don't have it with me. Does anybody have a set of keys on them that they can let me borrow quick? Yeah, there you go. I made a big mistake here. But you're going to save me. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. Does this sound mean anything to you? Okay. Probably not much, but think about it here. Does that sound mean anything to you? Let me ask you this. Would that sound mean anything to you if you were locked up for years in a dark prison with no way of freedom, no way of escape? Would that sound mean anything to you? 
We can't ignore how dark, how damning, how destructive our sin is, our rebellion is. Otherwise, we won't see how great, how magnificent the mercy and forgiveness of God that he gives us in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a sinner, a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I want to invite the worship team up here this morning. As I close, I'll give you your keys back, by the way. <laughs> Keep them in my pocket so I don't lose them. When I was growing up, I remember learning a hymn. I grew up Baptist, so please don't hold that against me. But I remember learning a hymn. It's called, I Stand Amazed. I guess I could ask them to do it this morning, but there's, there's something else that's good. I want to quote a little bit of it. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> I stand amazed. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful. Tim Keller says this, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever dare hope. Praise God that he can take our greatest sins, our greatest failures and forgive us and redeem us unlike anything else in our society can offer. God's forgiveness and mercy to us is beyond what they can offer. If God can, can forgive and redeem a man like David, he can certainly do it for you through Christ. If he can do it for David, he can do it for your family, for Dunkirk for this community, for our children, our grandchildren. God's forgiveness, His mercy is available to you this morning. And it's what ultimately, just like David, just like me, what leads us to repentance, what leads us to that transformation. And again, I know that we like David to, to be that hero. And ultimately, we, we like to look at each other as good people, as heroes even sometimes. And we skip over the sin. We skip over the thing that separates us from God. I want to tell you this morning, we can't afford to do that anymore. If we want transformation in our community, if we want transformation with us and our families, if we want to lead people to Jesus, we can't be desensitized and skip over the sin around us and the darkness around us because there's a world out there that's bound in sin living in sin drinking down sin like it's water people in our community are living in sin and rebellion towards a loving God who has forgiven them but they're facing the consequences broken relationships families, addiction, pain and they're separated from God and they're preparing themselves for an eternity without him and they need to know about God's forgiveness they need the good news that's the gospel that's the good news and I want to ask you have you forgotten how good it is how wonderful how marvelous it is because my friends the good news never becomes old news we need to preach this, teach this, proclaim it, and drown out all the bad news, all the even fake news out there with the good news 
of what Jesus has done for us in what God has done for us in Christ. And then I, and lastly, I don't want you to worry about talking about God's forgiveness as if it will lead someone to just take advantage of God's love and use it as a license to just sin and do whatever they want to just like David, okay? When we hear of God's forgiveness, of his mercy, we will repent. A Christian will repent and turn to God when we hear about God's amazing love. It will not only cause us to repent from our sins, but follow Jesus the rest of our lives. Give more of our time. Give more of our finances as praise. Give everything we have as an offering back to God for what he's done for us in Christ. That's our motivation. That's the power of God and salvation. It draws us close and it fuels our worship, what Jesus has done for me. So I want to say it again, and then we can sing. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song will ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We praise you, God, that you still speak to us today and reveal the truth, God, that we are sinners. Thank you, God, for this news. I pray that you would wake us up, God, to this truth. Pray, God, that you would awaken each and every one of us up from the deception and the destruction of sin. But God, we praise you that you don't leave us in our sin, in our condemnation, that you take it away and you put it on Jesus, your perfect son. I thank you, God, that you took our place on the cross, that you took our sin, our shame, our guilt, and the judgment, God, that we deserved, that you put it all on Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that when we believe, we receive your forgiveness. Pray, God, if there's anyone today that has never believed in what you have done for them, that they would believe today and receive that amazing forgiveness and life that you have for them. And God, again, we pray, God, that your forgiveness, that your mercy will continue to do what is always done, transform us and lead us to repentance and draw us closer to you, Father. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a dream? Stand with us as worship. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to sing that just one more time here as we uh, close out the service this morning. But as Dan was sharing, um, thank you, Dan, for sharing the gospel. There's not good news without bad news. Bad news is clear. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Paul makes it very clear where sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. How many are thankful for the grace of God, His incredible love and His mercy this morning? Paul also will say that the only one that is worthy 
of condemning. The only one that is truly worthy of condemning any of us was Jesus Christ. And instead of condemning, he chose to die for us. And I am so thankful. Thank you for for not just presenting the bad news that we're all sinners, but showing us this morning that there is good news, the grace of God. Um, as he was sharing, I was reminded, I don't know how many, in you, how many of you in this room, um, it, maybe you're one that likes to uh, do genealogies and try to figure out who's connected to your family and, and going back maybe centuries and trying to discover who you were related to. But I think one of the greatest pictures of God's incredible grace, he talked about David and his sin, he talked about Bathsheba, talked about Uriah. I think one of the greatest pictures of God's grace outside uh, of, of God sacrificing his son Jesus Christ, we see in Matthew chapter 1. And uh, I, if you're like me, sometimes when you get to genealogies in scripture, you just skip over it because it's a bunch of names you can't pronounce. But I think there's one genealogy, if, if, you, if you're going to make certain that you're going to read any genealogy in Scripture, make sure you read Matthew chapter 1. It's the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And listen, I just want you to hear this. Verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. Listen, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Even in the mess, the chaos, the sin, even no matter how deep that sin was, look how incredible God's grace and where sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. And David, Bathsheba, Uriah all end up in the genealogy, not of some random person, but they end up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That is because we serve a God who is able to take our mess, our sin, and he is able to redeem it. He's able to restore it. And he's able to give us grace. Grace is that which we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's grace, but he's given it to us because of his incredible and faithful love. That's the good news, folks. It doesn't matter how far we may be from God. It doesn't matter how many times we've messed up. It doesn't matter how deep or disgusting our sin is. God is able. God is able to abound. God is able to restore. God is able to redeem. How many are thankful for that this morning?